Hi, welcome to my creativity. This is a podcast about being creative and producing output. I'm your host, Surrey. I reveal how I work, my projects, my process, my creativity. From planning and goal setting to how I stay accountable for my output, to the way ideas pop into my head and the frameworks I use to stimulate my creativity and formalize it. Each week, I go over the last week's goals that I set for myself and at the end of the episode, I provide three or four new goals that I'm going to achieve this coming week. You can play along too if you like. You can send me in your weekly goals, how you went with your last weekly goals, and uh, I'll interact with you here on my podcast and we can work our way towards our mission. So speaking of mission, I've got an interview I did with a young musician and graphic artist, computer game developer called Aaron Gwinnair. He's working his passion. He has not yet got a 10-year view because he's enjoying the process of exploring his creativity. I do apologize for the sound quality. It was done remotely and uh, my first effort at a remote interview. So I'll get that cleaned up later. So last week's goals. My number one goal, which is going to be there for a little while yet, is produce exit plan episode. So I've done that. Episode 10 of season two was released about 10 minutes before I started recording this show. I've got about five episodes left of season two. I'm going to have to get... um, Season 3 recording pretty soon. Number 2 was finish formatting and prepping my novel for publishing. So that included getting a cover ready and getting the interior content publishing ready. But turns out it takes longer than I thought. So I've got a, a cover that I'm fairly happy with. So that's pretty cool. I did that in conjunction with my wife. We sort of, I put together a bit of a cover and then I let her tell me how I'd done it with crap. So I did a bit more research cover went through several iterations of that and that's going pretty well takes a long time though to you know go through hundreds of pages and make sure they all look like a proper novel so that's ongoing update my website i did a couple of things on that adding in some additional links and social icons but most of my time has been spent with this novel so i'm going to have to reassess my my timelines for novels two and three of Exit Plan. Okay, so then back to this interview. I met Aaron two years ago now. Got him on board as my uh, guitar teacher and a teacher for my daughter. And then I, I went and did some singing lessons with him. And my daughter continues guitar lessons there, but uh, I've I've moved my um, efforts away to private practice. And I'm trying to build a house, so need to save some cash. But anyway, uh, I spoke with him as a wonderful session. It went for an hour and a half or so. I've cut it down to the about half an hour. That's reasonably sort of tight and holds a lot of interesting details. In future episodes, I'm going to pull out some of his stories about making computer games and a, and a few other bits and pieces. But tonight's episode will mostly be this interview. So here it goes. I'd like to welcome Aaron Gwinnett to My Creativity. 
I'd love to know, Aaron, if you could give us a bit of info about you and what you do and who you are. Sure. My name is Aaron Gwinnair. I'm uh, originally from the UK. Um, I came out to Australia back in 2012. From being a child, I've always been into uh, being very creative and having quite a big imagination, which has kind of been really good for me and sometimes like really bad for me as well, especially at school. So yeah, I mean, I've, I've been into various different art forms over the years, from drawing through to painting, clay modeling. And, you know, weird enough, I was that sort of odd kid at school that wanted to play kind of made up kind of sword fighting games and come up with these kind of really cool concepts for like these fantasy games while all the other boys and stuff are playing football. So from a very kind of from the get-go, I was quite kind of in my own world, I suppose. And yeah, obviously into my teens, I kind of got into music a lot more. And the main reason I wanted to learn guitar is to write my own songs. So I didn't really want to learn particularly anyone else's songs. That came over time, obviously performing as well that came sort of in tow with that kind of um, having a very strong visual sense of where I wanted to go and how a song would look as well as how it would sound as well and then I got into 3D designing 3D modeling when I was about 14 I got into a software called Animator very kind of very much into uh, I found it a very interesting way of exploring art as well instead of just drawing you could create something that looked very realistic um, obviously, there was a lot to learn inside of that. And as time went on, I realized a lot more to learn because anime was very limited. And from there, I kind of got into game design and got into music technology when I was into my later teens. Um, so I learned how to sort of produce music as well. So another outlet of music. When, when I was just about to turn 21, I moved to Australia. And that was a big, big leap for me. And um, music kind of took over for a good while during those kind of what seven years since I've been out here. Since 2014, I've been sort of teaching guitar and also got my studio set up in 2016 and then started the game design studio in 2018. So things have kind of always been, yeah, quite creatively. I've been very creatively driven. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. <laughs> okay, so I mean, you've mentioned a few interesting things here. And I, I think... I'd like to get into obviously talking about uh, game design. You've got this game coming up, but you've also got a bit of music and things. But before we get into that, you said that your creativity there sort of got you in a little bit of trouble at school. Did you want to go into mm. that a little bit more? I think it caused me not to focus very well on particular subjects. The same thing with art as well. I would take a very long time over a piece of artwork rather than um, just sort of get it over and done with. And I'd focus on the details focus a lot on kind of the things that would just take up a lot of time and so maybe I wouldn't get particular pieces done at the end of class and um, I think it yeah I was just I didn't get some things in maths and English and stuff as a child I just find myself completely lost sometimes in what everyone else is doing I wouldn't get it and um, I, I'd, I'd find myself more comfortable in doing things that I kind of inwardly produced myself so whether that was a, a piece of art or you know um, stuff like that, really. I guess, you know, in year six, uh, it was, even though I said it was kind of like a bad thing, it was kind of a good thing because I got very, I, I was, a couple of teachers did support me quite a bit in like my storytelling. Like I wrote a story when I was in year four and I had a teacher that was basically like this, like Miss Honey from Matilda. She was amazing. And she, um, she encouraged me to read the, the story in front of the whole class and I really got into it. And, um, 
and then I actually told the whole story in front of the whole school as well. I think it was something called like Tim's first day at school or something like that. And from then on, I sort of like, I'm year six, I was the only one allowed to kind of write a, a fictional story, whilst everyone else had to do a newspaper article based on a particular um, schedule that the, the school had written out. They had to stay to particular guidelines, and I, could, I was actually allowed from the head teacher kind of go out of that and kind of explore something and write anything I particularly wanted to because it was a strength that was seen from a very young age so um, in some way it was kind of cool but it kind of also made me it kind of isolated I think isolated me away from the the other peers in the class kind of thing I was kind of um, seen as quite different (laughs) so yeah it had its kind of throwbacks and it's 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 uh it's good backs as well your focus would tend to sort of get you down there do you find well it would take you down sort of rabbit holes and get into the detail do you find that you have come up with ways of keeping yourself moving you know and progressing your projects now because uh, no doubt you're still yeah. you still find yourself focusing down on fine details yeah do you find have, have you come up with ways of making sure that you get projects finished now rather than disappearing down yeah. into a forever, oh. <laughs> forever, you know, fractal set of detail. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was one struggle I did have if I started a project, particularly when I was in my teens and I'd start maybe I got into my graphic design and then game design and I came up with these awesome projects and they were like really big and everything in my head and I'd start modeling them and I'd, focus a lot on them I'd focus I'd put a lot of um, attention into them and then it would get to a point where I'd kind of slightly I'd sort of like lose interest in it or what would happen is that because of maybe high school I'd be kind of more swayed towards like this more of the social aspect of things and maybe my music a bit more and so that kind of got in the way of that a lot I think now definitely have matured a lot in my way of thinking and it's enabled me to still put the amounts of detail and stuff I want to put into um, my work, particularly in graphic design where I'm adding bolts and stuff to a particular model because, you know, in real life, if two pieces of metal are coming together, they'll be bolted into wood, stuff like that. Whereas, you know, if it's another model that maybe the player won't come across that close range, there's no point in really putting that detail into it. And so I'm, I'm quite smart with the way I spread that kind of detailing around. I think also being patient And trying to think about the process rather than outcome is one of the most important things as well that I would like to kind of touch upon quite a bit, which is something I've learned through various different things in music, you know, relationships as well. I've always been quite a now now person and it's it's good to be able to focus on a project, know that it's gonna be pretty amazing when it's finished and you know, seeing people wanting to experience that as well, especially with the game, um, that's quite I think a good boost. But I think you've got to think to yourself, well, if you didn't have that, would you still be doing it anyway? And, you know, for me, it was a really awesome way to have a break from music, especially in 2018, and come back into um, something that I haven't really explored since I was about 18, 19. I think the last kind of project I did, that game design, before I came out to Australia. So it's been really good and refreshing in that sense. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that brings me to the obvious question is that, what drew you to game design in the first place? That was through playing a game that I used to play with my dad 
years and years ago. I was about 14 at the time when I got into game design. And I started looking at um, the game called Myst, which we played, me and my brother, or my younger brother, we played it with my dad. He would play like Team Red and stuff with us as well. So many games. But Myst was a game that kind of got put on the back burner a bit. We never finished it. It was kind of this weird kind of game. And it used to, certain scenes used to freak me out as a kid as well. I decided, okay, I'm going to actually play this. And I think I actually started, weirdly enough, I actually started playing Riven first, which is the sequel. And it was really fun. And I did use a walkthrough at one point to play it. Because um, I really wanted to get to the end. I wanted to see what happens when you actually meet this um, character again which is uh, Atris, um, um, the protagonist, as his dad, he's in the antagonist. And we find, you know, I wanted to meet him and um, see what it was like. And so from there, I found out how they made the game. And it was really interesting. That is very interesting. Um, it's interesting to see, though, that you, you started getting interested in the games as a teenager, because I remember playing plenty of games um, through <laughs> high school as well. Yeah. But it's interesting that you then actually took notes that you, you've, you've gone back and looked at and you're actually returning back to some of this, uh, these ideas you had now. Um, yeah. So, so how did you go about, you know, with your, this new game, uh, you, you call it Nia or is it Nia? Nia. Yeah, Nia. Nia. Okay. I've only ever seen it written down. So Nia. Uh, so how did you go about, I guess, planning that out, what your goal for it would be and how do you, sort of make sure that you're, you're meeting these goals? I don't really have a particular kind of schedule I set to every day. I basically ran with Nia very vigorously, almost obsessively, I guess, for a good few, good few months, from sort of July all the way through to December last year. And since then, it's been a bit different. It's just sort of like I've kind of been able to kind of pull back away from it, but also now, like with the sound design, kind of think about uh, putting the test build together and um, showing that as a playthrough on YouTube and, you know, maybe coming up with ideas for music as well. So it sounds like you've got, a, you've done a lot of work for it and I've seen a lot of the renderings are very highly detailed. It's quite good, but you've also naturally got like everyone else, a rest of your life involved. You've got a family and you've got rent that needs to be made. Uh, so how do you fit, how do you fit this uh, game development in, I guess, with, the, the rest of your life that it won't just sit by and wait for you to finish. I basically teach music. I run a private music tuition business alongside my wife. So I'm able to teach from home in the very studio that I designed the game in, which is awesome with my family environment as well. And the dynamic, my, um, my stepkids are basically, um, they're, um, unschooled. So there is, you know, a particular dynamic between myself and my wife as well, how we run things at home. There's a lot of, a lot of freedom to be able to do what I do in the, which I feel very blessed about. And I'm very, um, I'm very lucky and very fortunate as well. But, you know, outside of that, I'm not too sure. I, I, <laughs> I've become, very absorbed in my work and it's very easy for me to be able to come out of that and then do what I need to do as well. I have struggled with that in the past, maybe more so, I suppose. Do yeah. you set specific hours or do you have uh, like, you know, Tuesday afternoon from three to six, you're doing mm. Nia or is it more <laughs> a case of grabbing what minutes you can here and there? Or how, do you, oh. how much time do you need in one block? Do you find before you think it's worthwhile? 
doing any work yeah, for Nia. Very good point. If I've got 10 minutes before a lesson, there's not much point in getting into any um, graphics as such or any modeling, um, which is the main bulk of what I'm doing at the moment, to be honest. Some, you know, I think I need at least you know, a good morning. I teach men in the afternoon. I have lessons in the, in the morning sometimes throughout the week. But mainly I'll be teaching in the afternoon. So I know that most of the day is kind of maybe free to be able to work on near. I find that really nice big blocks of time definitely works. It does require a lot of focus as well. I don't have any schedule as such. Daily schedules is something I did think about doing back in 2017 when I was actually recording my EP Heart Dance Inferno. Because I thought, oh, I'm going to get back into a bit of maybe a bit of game design. <laughs> and I had this idea and everything. It was, you know bit crap looking back at it. It had no relation to Neo at all. I could do that. I maybe I might be able to do Tuesday for game design, Wednesday for music production, and maybe Thursday for busking and what performing and stuff, I suppose. But that kind of, in, strange enough, because I like schedules. I love to-do lists. I like kind of um, a routine as well. But I found that if I did that, I wouldn't be able to put my 100% into it. And that's another reason why Neo is such a big game is because I just couldn't see myself putting my efforts into something small, like a small little platform game or something, you know, which Neo actually originally was going to be a very small game, but it wasn't going to fulfill me in the same way. It's like, um, I just, my brain needs a bit more than just that. And I think with doing Neo, definitely that's kind of caused me not to do so much with my own music. I've been teaching obviously as well, but I have been, haven't really been performing at all. Now I'm sort of getting to that point where I'm thinking, well, I could combine the two together, um, which is quite interesting. Some interesting ideas there. But yeah, with the, um, the routine, it's not something um, I kind of do at all, really. I'll keep my to-do list of what I want to get done in that particular, maybe the island that I'm modeling by the end of the day kind of thing. But Yeah, so it sounds a, it sounds a lot like you're... I guess pursuing this as a passion first and using using that energy then I guess to guide your the time you set aside or, or how you approach it. Does that sound uh, familiar? Yeah, it's definitely a passion because it comes from uh, nostalgia as well. It comes from remembering how it felt to play those games as a kid. Um, it, you know, it comes from the like when you especially Riven that's a big influence because the great thing about Blender is that it can produce these really nice graphics using the engine cycles which it uses to render everything it's so photorealistic back then you know Riven was made with like like they would have spent thousands and thousands of dollars on the software and the computers as well so for me it's um basically from passion and from something definitely I think stronger than music I think it's from a different place. Music became, you know, I guess it, it, it sort of fell in, especially kind of in my teens, I suppose, became more, came from more of like an egotistic kind of place in some way. I'm quite looking forward to having a bit of a look at the, the playthrough, the, um, yeah, the yeah. YouTube demo you're going to do. That, that sounds pretty interesting because uh, I've, I've got a, a computer game of my own that's sort of on the back burner. Similar to you, it's, it, it does uh, come from the sorts of things I was doing when I was uh, in high school, when I was, uh, I suppose, really, really discovering the more modern style games. Mm. Cause if you go back far enough, there's like little, I guess, text adventures and, and Pac-Man type stuff and very sort of simplistic, 
you know, bounce a ball or knock down some bricks or something, which is good. But, but yeah, so I can see it. Do you have, or I guess I should ask, what is your, what is your dream or your, your 10 year vision? And not just for this game or anything, but for your creative life, like mm. in, in 10 yeah. years time. So let's say 2029 20, or 2030, what sort of things, yeah. where would you see of yourself? It was strange how the way life can go. I mean, I didn't ever think that I'd move to Australia, but it happened. I had a fascination for Australia when I was very young, um, weirdly enough. And even to the point where my hairdresser said to me once when I was about 11 or something, um, he said, if you ever got, get a chance to go to Australia, take it because that's where dreams come true. Oh, nice one. And yeah, and I'm not sure how that came into conversation either, but that then um, I kind of got fascinated into like Australian TV shows and stuff. I became kind of, yeah, sort of fascinated by the country, in my early sort of teens. And then I sort of lost that. And then before I know it, I was moving to Australia. It never, you know, crossed my mind that I'd moved to the other side of the world away from my own family as well, you know, who I haven't seen in seven years. Um, so it's, you know, it has its, you know, you, your life kind of goes on these different kind of roller coasters and different changes that you don't expect. And I think what I've learned is that it's very important, you know, sort of, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm 27, I'm turning 28 in July. And for me, that feels like a very powerful kind of age for some reason or another. But at the same time, you can get caught up in that and think, oh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then when it doesn't, it's like, oh, great. You know what I mean? It's just like, you can get quite disappointed if you have big expectations. So I think in terms of a 10-year vision, I've been focusing more on the process of my projects rather than any outcome. Because expectations can always be dashed and you might miss things along the way, which might open up other opportunities or create new ideas for yourself anyway. You must have had, uh, I guess, other sort of failures of varying types. What, yes. what do you think maybe was your biggest failure? I wouldn't say there's a biggest failure. I think there's different type, types of failures. I mean, one of the, the, I guess you could see me going into game design and dropping music for a bit, you know, for myself, I guess that was kind of like leaving something I had done for a very long time and kind of maybe letting it rest, I guess, which is a good thing because it's always going to be there. Maybe listening too much to what other people were saying, like in regards to the whole backing tracks and not using backing tracks here and realizing that it's not maybe something people can relate to so well. And rather than kind of like thinking on those lines, kind of maybe coming more from a kind of like more, more of a sort of in a more true voice of my own and listening to that and recording the Heart Dance Inferno EP could have taken, didn't, shouldn't have taken really as long as it needed as it did, because I could have basically have kept with a lot of the, the old kind of sounds I had, but me being a perfectionist decided to kind of like listen to it again and again and couldn't really let go of the songs very well. But then again, you know, I, I did quite a bit of time into it. Um, but then that kind of didn't go, the result wasn't what I expected it to be. Um, they didn't so much, the songs didn't kick off. I kind of had this kind of expectation again on the songs. And that was kind of quite disappointing. So how, how did you deal with that disappointment? Uh, did you learn from it or have you um, come up with some sort yeah, of rationalization? Definitely rationalization. And my wife has helped me a lot with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you've got a big imagination, you can kind of think beyond the boundaries of what you, what are, what is real. And 
you know, just the way I'd kind of seen and maybe what I expected from my life at a certain point, I'd be at this point. And then knowing that maybe that wasn't going to happen as expected as well. That was quite big. Um, that's quite a big thing. Um, I suppose, yeah, I mean, the songs are still great. The, song, the songs are really awesome. I produced it with the idea of having a very kind of like 80-ish kind of sound and, you know, I could still play the songs acoustically. I could even, you know, if I wanted to re-record them down the track, if I wanted to, but it's, uh, in terms of big, big failures, I think one of the biggest things is maybe making sure you don't let things get to your head too much. Um, that can be one of the biggest failures. And a lot of people and a lot of musicians struggle with that, you know, particularly when they, if they reach fame as well. And um, the idea of fame has always appealed to me, but it can also be quite destructive as well. And so I've kind of learned a lot of things from analyzing a lot of things as well. You know, it's not the be all and end all. And I think one of the best philosophies as well in life is to be able to have um, gratitude for the smallest things. I mean, one perfect example would be like, even from like seeing the grass, like dancing, the sunlight dancing on the grass in the morning, or um, just seeing the moon in the sky during the daytime, um, or having enough money just to buy what you need in that moment, you know, just enough money left over what, from whatever you've paid out and everything, but then being grateful for those small things, you know, and happy for it, and seeing that everyone else is happy for it too. And so it's cool to think outside the box, but I think it's really good to be able to come sometimes just, you know, think inside your little box as well. And what you have in that little box, I think then you can find happiness in whatever you do. And um, it's taken me a lot of, um, you know, environmentally, you know, the environment you grow up in, the things you take on and what you value and what you don't value. Everyone has their different ways of you know, growing up. And I think it's really important to look back and see how you can sort of change your patterns as well in life yeah definitely so you're looking at i gotta say i, I do love seeing the moon For some reason yeah during the daytime you, you, you mentioned that I was, I was looking at the other day and it always reminds me of when i first saw uh return of the jedi and <laughs> yes at yeah the sis stand there on on the moon of endor looking up and i can see the death star and i, I look at the moon and i go yeah it looks just like the death star and it, no it, moon. It, yeah, it's no moon, yeah. As it's, <laughs> I, I always get, get a little bit sort of inspired by seeing that moon up there. And, and the other one also is you picture what would it look like if there were two moons? What, you know, what would that look like having two of them up there? If you look one there and you look across a bit and there's another one. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I do relate to that. I think it's quite nice. Uh, so yeah. I guess, well, this brings me though to, the, to a question then. When you have been, uh, I guess working really hard or maybe you've gotten so far down in amongst the weeds of your current project. Is there anything you like to do to, to refresh yourself? Any, any go-to activities that help you sort of get past yeah, whatever might be filling your head or, um, you know, give you that uh, rejuvenation to, to get back into it. Because uh, if you do, like, I can obsessively get into something and stay for into that project for a very long time. I've definitely proved myself with that with Nia. I think, you know, it kind of got to the end of last year. I'd been working on it nonstop. And now I'm finding that I can sort of, like, look at other aspects of the game design. So it's the construction of the test build and using Visionaire for the first time. And 
in a sense, that's kind of cool because that's the good thing about game design. Like I said, it's got all these different aspects to it. With music, it's like one thing. Oh, you're going busking, you're performing these songs, the songs that you've been singing and playing like every day, every, and it's the same thing over and over and over again. And um, I think for me, I can't sort of sometimes see a way out of that because my mind becomes rigidly kind of like stuck to that thing. And for with game design, it's great because I can like, I realized with the construction, that meant a lot of programming um, to a point, to a point where I was putting everything together and seeing it come together. And, you know, with the animation stuff as well, coming up with the animations in Blender was a, you know, a different, different process. And then sort of, yeah, sort of working on things outside of just Blender, that was cool. And then I found, I went back into Blender and I had this kind of, you know, I was like, oh my God, you know, I don't actually know how to use Blender still. <laughs> oh yeah, of course you do. So yeah, it kind of, my mind can sometimes think if I'm not doing something for a very long period of time, I'll lose it. I'll lose that ability to do it. It's kind of a, you know, I guess, you know, if you practice something again and again, you'll get better at it. And that's obviously proven in a lot of different areas with Nia as well. I guess for me, having a, just having a coffee as well, just being able to have a break out, getting out of the studio a bit can help. Like I'm not the most socially interactive person. Um, I don't particularly like big social crowds. I'm not saying I despise them, but I kind of just have this, uh, I tend to work better by myself as well. And I think it's really good because um, you can work with people, you know, and if you're like a, you know, as you're working by yourself, it's nice to sort of, have the minds of someone else kind of come into it. And that's happened with Nia, bit of a sidetrack, but like with my wife, Nancy, she'll come up with these amazing ideas. You know, she'll kind of, you know, get through the, the, the ramblings of me talking about a new idea and survive it. And then something will click and then she'll be like, oh, what if you did this though? Ah, but you know, if you bring it back to science or something like that, you know, what if you, you know, it's, it's actually really interesting when you combine the two, our two minds together sometimes. So that can really help. And it's being open to that too, open to um, suggestion. I mean, for me, it's been tough with my dad because, um, you know, he's a lot more conventional. And that's been, um, you know, he, you know, sees my lifestyle. You know, I don't want to go into like personal stuff, but we have, we have never really seen eye to eye as such. You know, he thinks that because he works six nights a week and he he just thinks that sometimes this lifestyle I live is like a bubble and it will just pop. We'll do an official wrap up. Thanks for coming along, yeah. Aaron. It's been great talking to you. No worries. You too. You too. Thank you so much. Yeah, bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that was Aaron. Quite interesting to hear his view on his purpose and mission. Uh, interesting to see here how he has managed to adapt a lifestyle around his creative outlets. Yeah, he does a lot of guitar tuition, uh, but also some keyboard and some other you know, like um, singing lessons. He does do some performing here and there and so forth. Uh, but he's managed to manage to keep his dream alive, and I'm quite positive that he is going to crack that nut about what his mission is or his purpose is and he's going to drive it home that's going to be awesome so next week's goals exit plan so i've got episode 11 to do i think there are 15 episodes in this season of exit plan uh i say i think i can actually just have a look i wrote the damn thing there are 15 episodes so episode 11 is going out and actually maybe maybe one of these days 
pretty soon. I'm going to talk about how I, you know, what framework I use and how I plotted the, um, the story progress for Exit Plan because that's quite interesting. It, and we'll actually reveal why there's about 15 episodes to each season. There's 16 first one, there's 15 this one. I think there's 14 or 15 in my next season three. That'll become obvious once I talk about that in future episodes. I'm going to finish my novel. So that's just formatting the interior now. Cover looks pretty good. And updating my website. So I've still got this shop. I've got to get active. Particularly once the novel goes active, I want to be able to put my, my book on there. And again, I'd say that if you want to play along at home, you can send in your goals and how you're progressing, and we can work on this together. You can follow me at Gravity Undone on Twitter or Gravity Undone on Facebook, or you can just keep listening to this. Bye. Bye.